Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Jason Lipschutz, and I'm an associate editor and the Pop Shop blog editor of Billboard.com. Based in New York, on the other line in Los Angeles, is the 1989 to my every other album ever in 2014, Keith Caulfield. How's it going, Keith? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. You're you're just towering above me. That's what I meant by that intro. Thanks. You're just like, uh, compared to every other album, we're all looking up at you. Thank Come you. Come on. And by the way, this is the one podcast that will have absolutely no news about the 2014 election. Oh, uh, I know, right? Taylor Where, Swift was elected to everything yesterday. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, as many times as I try to turn this into a sports podcast, we are also not a political podcast. We are the Pop Shop Podcast, and we are here to talk about pop music, specifically Taylor Swift's huge sales week with 1989, uh, biggest sales week since 2002. We'll get to that in a second. We're also going to be talking about Beyonce coming back, kind of, with her new platinum edition of Beyonce, her album, not herself, her album. Um, the big release of the week is Calvin Harris's Motion. We're going to talk about that in the sales projection. We're also going to get to Led Zeppelin, Imagine Dragons, some CMA stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun week here on the Pop Shop Podcast. Are you ready to go, Keith? Of course I am. All right, man. Well, we, we had a, a Taylor Swift extravaganza last week. Talking about 1989, talking about the album itself, the sales projection, and now the sales are final. We're going, we're not going to spend that much time on Taylor Swift this week because, you know, people, you know, might want to hear about some other artists on this podcast. Oh, so come on. Why would know, you want to hear about anyone else aside from Taylor Swift? Especially exactly. That's the thing. I mean, come on. We really can't. Like, we have to start with Taylor Swift. It's the biggest sales week, like I said, since 2002. What is that final number, Keith? 1 million, 200. And eighty-seven thousand, uh, which is just nutty. Um, yeah, one point two eight seven million copies. The biggest sales week for an album since two thousand two, when Eminem's The Eminem Show sold one point three two two million in its second chart week. Um, so yeah, it's the biggest sales week for an album in o- over twelve years. Um, I, there are so many statistics to go into. They're all up on the website, but I fear going into them because Jason will start screaming at me because I'm rattling well, off too many things. How about this? Book. What's the most astonishing statistic about this sales debut? What's the one that really was was kind of like, wow, I can't believe this represents this? Well, they're, they're all wow, but here here are some newish ones. Um, uh, 22% of all albums sold in America last week were Taylor Swift's 1989. 
Wow. Yeah. So that's a good wower. That's a good way. Yeah. Of all the albums sold in America last week, 22% of them were just this one album, 1989. Or what about this one? It's obviously the number one album on the Billboard 200 chart. It's Taylor Swift's fourth number one. But it sold so much that it actually sold more than the combined totals of numbers two through 107 on the Billboard 200 this week. There you go. That's another good one. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting. I system. like these. Yeah. I like these. Um, so, oh, oh, one more, one more, and I'll, and go, then ahead, I'll stop. go ahead. Go ahead, man. Its debut <laughs> is actually more than the combined first week debuts of the last eight albums to debut at number one. Uh, you know, Slipknot, yeah. Blake Shelton. Uh, yeah. Uh, so she which sold is pretty, a lot. Which is pretty crazy because you think about there has been some pretty big debuts in the past month i mean jason aldean had one of the five biggest of the year florida and georgia line almost sold two hundred thousand. I, I that mean, tells you yeah. something right there if he had one of the biggest debuts of the year and still it's you know you know you have to take eight of them sort of combined Crazy. to get to taylor that just means taylor's that huge and overall album sales are just that cruddy so so keith i, I want i want to talk about something that people need to understand um which is that when this number came out last night and we're recording this on wednesday and it came out officially on tuesday night this week some taylor swift fans on twitter were like hey billboard projected like seven hundred fifty thousand. we showed them ha 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 like kind of like well they're taking a cue from taylor by the way so sure oh yeah absolutely she's she the same that. thing yeah. <laughs> But can you break down a little bit how this number grew so much over the week, where it can start around where we're projecting, you know, 750,000, and then it grows by almost 500,000 copies? Okay, let's back up just for one second, and let's clarify what these forecasts and projections mean. We talk yeah, about that's them exact, every week. That's but, exa- yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. But I want to make sure that people are actually listening this time. And I don't mean that <laughs> in a shady way. But most people that was don't. Pretty, actually, that was a little shady. Come most on. Most people don't read anything more than the headline, and most people don't actually listen to an entire podcast. Wow. So old man Keith over here. No, it's it's called shaking truth. his. I'm the, shaking I'm, his finger at the kids. It's spilling the tea, as some might say. Um, <laughs> the forecasts that Billboard talks about are always forecasts that come from industry analysts and industry sources, meaning people at record labels who their entire job is to forecast stuff and to analyze sales. And those people share numbers with us as sources. We don't quote them. We just say sources tell us that the album could sell this much. It's all about sources from labels telling us a number that the album may or may not actually hit. Okay? So when people talk about, ooh, we showed them, well, actually, you showed the record label, because the record label was forecasting 750000 for Taylor Swift two weeks ago. And the record label and other sources at other record labels all increased their projections and forecasts for the album once they saw how well it was doing in pre-orders and how well it was selling. So, you know, when we talk about forecasts, it's not Billboard making the forecasts. It is industry sources at distribution right. companies, at record labels, you know, multiple people at multiple places giving billboard uh numbers and then we report them uh so so how did that number increase the number increased because initially the album was forecasted to do around 1.1 million and that was like two months ago in its first week and then then that number was scaled back by industry forecasters not by billboard 
once uh, you know they saw how the pre-orders were doing for the album, basically. And 750,000 is a huge number. Enormous, especially in 2014. But once they started to see how well um, Out of the Woods was doing and how that was generating pre-orders for the album, especially on iTunes, mm. um, they upped the uh, projection for the album to over 800,000. Then once the album actually went on sale, it was doing way better than anyone anticipated. And that's how daily the album forecast continually grew until we ended up with a week of 1.287 million copies. So kids, read, read more than your headlines. People, not and kids. Just it's just people. People don't read anything. Don't wear your, and don't wear your pants so low. That's what I'm. I, I think that's what Stop we're. Stop it, here Jason. <laughs> Stop that. I'm teasing. Make no, you sound you're like right. I'm like some. You get off, you, know, you kids. My cane is <laughs> shaking in the air. Lawn. Get off our chart lawn. No, I hear you, man. I'm I'm just teasing you, but I, I think that it is important to realize that yeah, this is this is like anything. This is like you know how how films do at the box office. You have initial projections based around all the, the factors, all the data that comes in, all the indicators. And then, you know, it's up to the people who buy tickets and in this case buy albums to show what that number is eventually going to be. And that's what we report on. So, um, and, not, I mean, and, not, it, and not to diminish um, the, the concept of we showed them. I mean, frankly, the we showed them concept is a wonderful thing because you, you showed the industry and you yeah. showed... Uh, Taylor's uh, record label and her distribution company, Big Machine Universal Music, you showed Taylor how passionate fans are and how much they care about this album and how much they really wanted to buy it. So yeah, it is a great you showed the moment. But you know, let's not focus so much on the who showed who. It's more about, wow, this album did amazing. And it's incredible how many copies that it sold in its first week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and I guess that leads to my, my next question, which is, I mean, it's pretty remarkable to me that this 1989 debut was bigger than Speak Now and bigger than Red. They both sold over a million copies in its first week, but this was just slightly more. 1.279, is that the number? 1.287. 87, okay. Close enough. Uh, 1.287, bigger than Red, bigger than Speak Now. Why is that? Because you see CD sales declining year over year. And it's 2014 compared to 2010 when Speak Now came out. It, was this just kind of like a perfect storm of of this CD launch with the performances and Shake It Off doing so well and the whole concept of the pop album? It was What do you think? You, I mean, what's what's kind of getting this? What kind of got the, this to the point where it's the Taylor Swift's biggest album debut ever? Well, I mean... You know, it's interesting. She doesn't have country radio anymore. And yeah. this isn't a country album. So you've lost that exposure. But then you've gained more exposure with pop radio. But I think she probably, you know, I think the last album was a transition album. So, you know, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together was a huge single, but maybe not quite as sort of pop shattering as Shake It Off. Um, so I don't have the answer. If I had the answer, then I might you know, be able to go to Vegas and make a lot of money because then I'd tell the future and, you know, but I mean, I think, I think the reason is that it was the perfect storm, as you say, but that's kind of like sort of a, that's kind of like a fallback answer. Like, oh, it's the perfect storm. Like, well, yeah, she did everything right. And it worked. You know, she had all the performances lined up. She did all the promotion that she's supposed to do. All of that worked. She stayed on message and she really conveyed to 
the public and to her fans that this was an album that you wanted to experience, a full album that you needed to have. It wasn't just about songs, it was about the full album. And also, I think what was going for it was uh, some little things that probably helped it to a certain degree. The fact that she had the Swift stakes happening, where for every purchase of every album, there was a unique code inside the album that you could use to enter into a Swift stakes. A, you know, there's a playoff of sweepstakes. Yeah. Get it? Swift? Sweep. I get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where there were 1,989 prizes, including 250 uh, meet and greets and tickets to concerts. Um, so that probably helped move the needle a little bit. I think the collectability of the physical album itself uh, prompted some sales because there were five different sets of collectible Polaroid images in, inside each of the physical albums. And I think there were probably those that were passionate enough to want to buy multiple copies to get all of the collectible Polaroids. And you didn't know which set of Polaroids you were getting when you got the album. So sometimes you'd have to buy more than one to get them all. It's kind of like, you yeah. know, Pokemon, collect them all. Um, it is like Pokemon. Gotta yeah. catch them all. Um, and <laughs> I think... Um, you know, just the the you know idea of of having this sort of like conceptual piece, this 1989 piece, and I think that interested a lot of people. Where you know they really wanted to hear this sort of sonic evolution of Taylor Swift. So I think it was a, it was a it was a number of things that all combined, and also maybe to a certain degree the fact that it you know it wasn't on Spotify and streaming services that could have helped sell a little bit more. Um, I don't know how much that would have moved the needle entirely, yeah. um, but I think all those things added up to some extra sales, but that number, I have no idea what it would be. Yeah, no, I mean, going back to last week's podcast, I think you made a great point, which was that Taylor Swift convinced listeners that 1989 was an experience that they needed to own, that it wasn't just about Shake It Off or the next single, that this was an album, a project that you needed to experience in full. And you needed to, you know, whether it's through iTunes or like you said, through target with the deluxe edition or the physical copy with the the polaroids like you she wanted people to experience this album and look at this looking at this number which is the biggest sales week since 2002 i mean this has got to be kind of encouraging everyone has spent the year talking about how horrible cd sales were and and they are horrible right now but this still kind of shows that you know i I saw people on twitter you know, as I'm sure you do as well. The people on like, Twitter. Uh, Jason, what do the they people, say? The people on Twitter, you know, the 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 trolls on Twitter. They're not even trolls, but the people that are just saying, this is going to be the, the last million seller for sure. Never definitely. And never. like And yeah, exactly. Because this proves that, you know, the fact that an album in 2014 by Taylor Swift can outsell an album in uh, a Taylor Swift album from 2012 or 2010, it it's says that you know people are still listening to music people are still paying attention and if they want to buy an album even if cds aren't the future that if they want to buy something and the product is crucial enough they will buy it um it's interesting i i think it's kind of yeah like i said i think it's encouraging for the industry what do do you think i think you know much like beyonce's debut last December with her self-titled album, which surprised everyone and also delighted everyone with how well it sold. Because it sold, you know, like a million copies in its first 10 days or something like that. Um, You know, we can learn things from this. The industry can learn things from what Taylor has done with her album and the promotion of it and the conceptualizing of it. And the same thing that, you know, same way that we can learn about Beyonce um, and what to do from from these two albums. What, How can we move forward and how can we 
sort of learn lessons from this and apply them to you know your own project so exactly i think artists and labels are would it would be it would behoove them to look at what taylor did and what beyonce did and say how can we how can we do not what they did but how can we do something where we can appeal to our fan base and make something unique and highly uh, desirable because it's yeah, not exactly. about it's not about trying to do the same thing it's not about trying to do an, a surprise iTunes release it's not about trying to do collectible polaroids you don't do that 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 only works for you as a unique artist if it fits what's appropriate and i think that's really what it comes down to like every artist has to sort of sort of super serve their fan base or to really create something that is enticing and and desirable uh, yeah i think I think the the word that that I think of is indispensable. I think that these labels and these artists have to come up with a product that is seen as indispensable to fans. That they absolutely have to have it. There's no other. And and again, going back to Beyonce, who we're going to get to in a second, that's what she did last year because she released this album. Everyone online went crazy. They, you had to experience it through iTunes to watch all the videos. And yeah, it was it was essential that you you spent some money and got this album and uh yeah like like i said like you said this is um this is a a learning uh this is a a a learning time for the industry this is a time to reflect on 1989 and not not the not the year but the album i mean we can all reflect on the year 1989 but i think it's a time to yeah sit back and be like what can we learn from this i totally agree with you yeah so keith um Moving over to the Hot 100 to to put a bow on our Taylor Swift discussion. Taylor, she can't be denied because Shake It Off is now back at number one on the Hot 100. It, uh, it's it's been a it's a good week to be Taylor Swift right now, right? Uh, yeah, duh. She also has six songs now on the Hot 100 uh, thanks to the debut of 1989. We talked about that last week. How many songs? It, the number is six. Um, and her next single, Blank Space. Already a top 20 hit. It debuts where? Where does it debut? Number 19? Number 18? Eight, somewhere right around there? Uh, 18. Uh, don't hold me to that. You should check billboard.com on Thursday. I have I have the chart in front of me, but I'm not positive that that position is correct, but I'm pretty sure it's 18. Okay. That sounds okay. really sketchy, so, I realize. We know that number one is number one. Eight, number 18, I think it's 18. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're try We're still finalizing. That's how. That's how hot off the press. We're, we're, we're finalizing things outside is. of the top ten. Still, we're still working on the rest of the chart. But top ten, we definitely know. Okay, very cool, man. Um, so, congrats to Taylor. Nineteen eighty nine, an amazing week. She's Billboard's Woman of the Year, well deserved, and now she has the number one album and song in the country. Pretty mind boggling. So, Keith, another another superstar diva. Beyonce is coming back. Kind of. So, over the weekend, were you aware of this rumor that she was dropping a new album uh, in, on November fourteenth? Were you, Were you aware of this this kind of um, confirmation one sheet that was being passed along yes, online? That, yes, I was. I was. I was with, aware with a fake track list. So, so here's the thing. So, it's announced on Tuesday that it's not a new album coming out. It is a platinum edition box set of Beyonce, the album that came out in December, complete with two new songs, as well as four remixes, uh, a couple of which have already been surfaced. And it's all being packaged with a live DVD and a DVD of all the music videos of from Beyonce and I think a mini calendar. And, and 
more goodies. And so, Keith, before I before we talk about this, so will this deluxe edition be kind of bundled with the original album on the Billboard 200 chart? Is that how it's it's not going to count as something separate, right, on the on the album's chart? Well, if her label wanted it to, to be separate, they could, but they want it to merge with the original album, okay. and it can, because it, it falls within our guidelines of what can be merged. So when this, when this album, when this box set comes out, um, you'll see there won't be any perceivable change on our charts. It'll just still say Beyonce, Beyonce, and then it'll just move back up the chart, presumably that week once it comes out um, with increased sales. Very cool. I got to say, man, I was like a little bit bummed when the the rumor that it, there was a new album coming out got shot down and then it was, um, you know, it was it was just a deluxe edition. And, and you know what? A great deluxe edition is is great little stocking stuffer for fans. This is a pretty standard move. We talked about this yesterday we, uh, on on Gchat or AIM or whatever we use. But this is a pretty standard move for, for major artists, right, to kind of bundle a deluxe edition for the holidays yeah this isn't this isn't exactly i mean it's obviously interesting and cool especially if you're a beyonce fan but this is kind of the norm um to reissue an album with bonus tracks or with extra goodies i mean the fact that she's adding a dvd with a concert or at least most of her concert it doesn't seem like it's the entire show uh, with like six bonus tracks or something um that's interesting, but not like, oh my God, earth shattering. It's cool, but not like amazing. <laughs> um, it's great for the holidays. It's great for gift giving. It's great for Black Friday. It's great for Christmas. Um, it's also great for physical retailers who got shut out initially with her iTunes album, who probably weren't exactly thrilled that iTunes got the exclusive on her album you know, last December and no one else had it physically for like a week. Yeah. Uh, so they were left in the dark on one of the biggest selling albums of the year. So now, you know, in time for Christmas, physical retail, especially around Christmas time and the holidays, will have a nice, fabulous Beyonce box set that would be lovely as a stocking stuffer or underneath someone's tree. Yeah. And then here's the thing I want to, and I wrote about this on Tuesday about how it's okay to feel slightly disappointed that this is not a new album. Because here's the thing from our end over at Billboard. So we see these rumors going around on over the weekend and... You know, we, we see that, oh, people are talking about a new Beyonce album that's coming out in a week and a half. So obviously we we um, reach out to Beyonce's camp to either confirm or deny. And apparently there was just there was this time period where we just didn't hear either a confirmation or denial. And so that we, we kind of had the feeling that something was coming. We Because if, you know, this was just an Internet hoax, which it turned out to be so and nothing was coming we'd get the word that says, no, nothing's coming. This is all a lie. But we, we get radio silence for a, a couple of days. And then, you know, now it something eventually did come. We get the Platinum Edition announcement on Tuesday morning. But, that, but that's kind of why we felt like, at least me, I felt a little bit like, oh man, maybe there is an actual new Beyonce album coming out. But alas, it's, it's just, hey, two new songs, great. Four remixes, awesome. Um, but I, but I, I feel your pain. Those who who thought this was uh, a real thing and and were slightly disappointed. Um, but that's anyway. okay. It's all right. That's okay. That's a thing. Right. I, I think. And like you said, this is a great thing for physical retail. You you think of you know people shopping at Best Buy, at Target on Black Friday. They see this brand new Beyonce Platinum Edition with 
six new songs they have to have it they're beyonce obsessives and uh yeah i I think you know we'll definitely see beyonce album sales uh get a little bit of a a boost around black friday and uh thanks to this platinum edition so keith um yes the big release of this week and i say big with air quotations you can't see because this is an audio podcast i'm using air quotations to say big Calvin Harris's motion, his new album, his the follow-up to 18 months is out. What is the sales projection for Calvin Harris's next album? Industry forecasters, mind you, suggest the album could sell like, you know, 35,000 or so. Um, I don't know if it's actually going to be the biggest debut this week um, because I don't have forecasts on all the albums that came out this week or all the significant albums because you still have things like Jake Miller has an EP and there's um a joe budden album joe budden thank you bet midler um bet midler well bet midler is going to be less than calvin harris but i think calvin is one of the biggest ones he could be the biggest debut it's just sort of sad that you know we have this week and a whole lot of nothing came out no offense to calvin but i mean really uh, the album is in not terms of sales in terms of not, sales not in terms, <laughs> not in terms of, of artistic yes, creation duh, no it's obviously about things that could actually sell and um I was confused momentarily. I thought the Foo Fighters album came out this week, and it doesn't. Um, yeah, that's next week. Next week, and Pink Floyd has that new album, that sort of quasi-instrumental new album next week. Um, yeah. So it, it seems like everyone like purposely didn't put out really big stuff this week because they didn't want to get in the way of Taylor Swift's second week on the chart. Yeah, pretty in, pretty insane. I mean, when you look at Calvin Harris, Calvin Harris by now is basically a household name. Well, just because I th- I think most people know who Calvin Harris is. Nah. Like even if you're not a big like EDM watcher, I feel like he nope. he headlines festivals. Nope. Nope. You disagree? No. Nope. Completely. <laughs> really? This, this, this is this is we're revisiting the Jesse J conversation from a few months oh, ago. <laughs> um, a household name, Jason is, and I say this with love, and you know I mean it like this in a nice way. Um, a household name is Michael Jackson, Madonna, Taylor Swift. Uh, Beyonce. Calvin Harris, not a household name. Calvin Harris is known to like music fans, like big like music fans that pay attention to charts and pay attention to like what's popular on the top 10. But the average person, the average like mom and dad have no idea who Calvin Harris is. I don't know about that. I really don't know about that. I feel like if I if I said the name, if I walked up to someone on the street and maybe maybe I'll leave New York because I'm in New York. Podcast podcast man on the street. Podcast on the man on the street. Do you know who Calvin Harris is? Uh, Maybe you would like say in like cool parts of Manhattan or like, you know, like Brooklyn. But no, you know what? I'm going to do this the next time I'm home in South Jersey. I'm going to go to like, I don't know, the mall and be like, hey, do you guys know who Calvin Harris is? And everyone will be like, yeah, like maybe they won't be able to name more than one or two songs, but they'll know like we found love and like I, I and well, they you may know, know we uh, found love. So you say, Have you heard summer. that song? We found love. And oh, they're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Do you know who Calvin Harris is? No. Who is it? Oh, all right. That's well, anyway, anyway, Keith, I mean, he's not he's not a household name in terms of Skrillex level. Would you would you? Would you believe that Skrillex is a household name? Would no. you give me that? <laughs> no. Man, I, I don't know get, what household get, you're uh, in, but the average American household probably can't even name who our Secretary of State is. How are they going to well, know who Skrillex is? I feel like more people know who Skrillex is than our Secretary of State. Mm. Anyway, that that and that's a commentary on... Uh, that's a little bit of political commentary for you on this post-midterm election Pop Shop podcast. Keith... Anyway, okay, household name, not a household name. 
He is an electronic star. He is a festival headliner. And yet this dude cannot sell albums. He is a live touring monster and his tracks do great, right? I mean, Summer was a top 10 hit and a lot of people lapped up that song, right? Well, he, he makes tons of hits. Summer was a huge hit. Um, he, he's a hit making artist and he's, you know, he has single after single that has been very successful. His last album, 18 months, uh, generated, I don't know, what was it like? Seven, eight t- different hit singles over like two and a half years. I mean, it was huge. It was even bigger in the UK, I think. Um, and obviously he brings down like, you know, millions and millions of dollars each year in touring. I mean, I don't have the exact number, but he's one of the highest paid uh, DJs around the world. Um, yeah, he's huge when it comes to EDM and music and the DJ circuit and making hit singles. But in terms of being a household name with the average mom who knows who Taylor Swift is, no, no. Well, all right. Well, maybe I'm not appealing to the soccer moms. Anyway, um, Keith. I just like arguing with you, Jason. I'm <laughs> I know you do. You're sitting over there going, I want to kill him. Anyway, but can, can we compare this? So you said that it's Motion, his new album. It has some huge collaborations on it. Ellie Goulding's back on this. Haim is back on this. Um, but it's only going to sell probably, like you said, 35,000 copies in its first week. A fraction of something like Taylor Swift, of yeah. course. But, but even But even something like, you know, this is like a quarter of Ariana Grande or of you know, other like pop stars. And and I, my question is, can you compare this forecasted projected sales week <laughs> with the first week sales of, of someone like Skrillex or Avicii or Deadmau5, like their last album? Yes. How, how of, does, the, of, how does motion compare? Of course I can do that because you asked me to prepare this for you before the show started. Um, um, Skrillex's last album, uh, Recess did 47,000 in its first week. Um, Avicii's last album did 50,000 in its first week, which is actually pretty good. Um, and Dead Mouse's last album, uh, which I can't pronounce the title. I think it's while one less than two, while one carrot two opening to the right, uh, did 30,000. Um, so again, all these artists are singles artists generally, though they would contend they're making a full album, obviously. Um, but they were not able to communicate the idea of that this is a full album that you need to purchase. Uh, like Taylor and on a really sort of wide, huge, massive scale, or like say Megan Trainer or Ariana Grande. Um, they're just very different artists and they sort of live, uh, you know, off the success of incredible hit singles and huge touring and that sort of thing. It's not about necessarily a full album purchase, clearly, for consumers for them. It's so interesting because it's almost like the, the argument of what's even the point of, of Calvin Harris putting out an album? Like, why even it's bother like, doing an album? It's like, why would Pitbull put an album out when he's all about tracks? Like, Yeah, it's just you know? interesting how some artists work Flow like that. And obviously, and, and obviously there are some artists who are singles artists but still do decently in terms of albums. But you see an artist like Calvin Harris, and he has so many hits, and yet when he compiles them into an album format, just no, it just doesn't connect with anybody. And it's crazy. Like, I, I remember reviewing... Calvin Harris's last album, 18 months, and I was like, man, there are so many hit singles on this. Like, there are songs on that album that you kind of forget were hit singles. There's just so many, like, they had that song, Let's Go with Neo, and I Need Your Love with Ellie Goulding. That was a bigger hit, but you, I, I mean, this is a hits packed album, and yet people just don't buy it. It's so, it's interesting to me. And, and again, like you said, kind of in line with other EDM stars like Skrillex, even if you don't think Skrillex is a household name, Skrillex is, you know, he was nominated for Best New Artist. Like, this guy is a, a huge name to a lot of people, and yet not many albums sold to date. Um, Keith, 
my last question about Calvin Harris, would it have helped, do you think at all, if this album came out in the summer when the album, or when the song Summer was doing so well, do you think that moves the needle at all? Nah, probably not. Nah. I, think I think it would have done what it's going to do no matter when it came out, unless it was like, you know, Thanksgiving week or like, you know, the week before Christmas when everything, all sales are just elevated, but nah, I doubt it. All right, well, there you go. So Calvin has probably not going to knock Taylor Swift. Probably not going to topple Taylor second week. No, probably not. Hey, you never know, man. Never know. Uh, so Keith, we have a couple odds and ends to race through before the end of this show. First off, let's talk about Led Zeppelin, man. Hey, let's get the lead out. Let's. Led Zeppelin four is back in the top ten of the Billboard two hundred albums chart. So let's break this down, man. How did this happen? So this is actually Led Zeppelin. Uh, Led Zeppelin four. Uh, and Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy were both reissued last week in fabulous deluxe reissue standard edition, two-CD two edition, a box set, you know, many lavish creation. Anyway, uh, both reissued. Uh, it is the fourth and fifth reissues in the Led Zeppelin reissue series that they've done. The first three were Led Zeppelin 1, 2, and 3. And uh, Led Zeppelin 4, which is one of the biggest selling albums of all time, it is certified at 23 million units shipped according to the Recording Industry Association of America. Um, it returns to the top 10 on the Billboard 200 chart at number 7. Uh, it sold about 35,000 copies, uh, up 3,042% in sales. Uh, Houses of the Holy comes back to the top 20 at number 12. Um, earlier this year, I think all three of the Led Zeppelin reissues, 1, 2, and 3, uh, returned to the top 10. So clearly yeah. this reissue series is working quite well for Led Zeppelin, but it's also fun just to see one of like the most classic albums of all time that never actually hit number one, believe it or not. Led Zeppelin 4 peaked at number two. It's just cool to see it back in the top 10 this week. Yeah, and for those listening who you know might not be the, the hugest Led Zeppelin fans, Led Zeppelin 4 is, is their most iconic album, I would say. Yes. It, it's the one with Stairway to Heaven. Yes. It's the one with Black Rock and Dog Roll. And Rock and Roll. And, yeah, it's, it's going it's, to California. Like if you're gonna, if you want a gateway into Led Zeppelin, that's like, the one you get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you like you said, Led Zeppelin 4, House of the Holy, both reissued this week, and Led Zeppelin 4 does slightly better. Um, cool. I mean, Led Zeppelin, man, that's, back in the top ten, very cool. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about this. I made a note. Uh, Imagine Dragons. They have their lead single from their next album. They're pretty highly anticipated sophomore album. The single is called I Bet My Life. It has a, a big Mumford vibe on it. And it's in the it's in it debuted in the top ten of the digital songs chart this week. Kind of a soft launch for this song, kinda, right? Yeah, I, I kinda, kind of. Yeah. I, I mean I, I expected more I mean after all of the success they had with Radioactive and Demons and you know, a, a lot of interest in this this band and this project. I bet my life doesn't. You know, m- maybe it'll grow, but it seems kind of soft. W- were you kind of s- struck by that as well? Well, I you know I was initially surprised that the song you know didn't uh, set the world on fire, yeah. um, as we often oh, say. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to get the number in just a second for you, um, but. I think when you think about it, though, Imagine Dragons was never like a big one-week type of band. You know, their album, Night Vision, started off at number two on the Billboard 200 and then spent, you know, like the next two and a half years basically bopping around the top 20, top 40. Um, And it was just very consistent. And their singles 
were, were performed really well over an extended amount of time. You know, none of them were just red hot for a second. They all built a very long life, a very long shelf life. And I think that 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 can all be applied to the new single, which did 74,000 downloads in its first week. I think it's about building the song at radio and sort of sort of reintroducing them because, you know, they're not like you know Taylor Swift, where it's they're, they're immediately like this huge media attention, you know, hogging type star. Like you know, Imagine Dragons is still honestly a developing band that, while they had a huge album and a bunch of huge singles, I think they're still trying to sort of build a face and a name for themselves. And I think you know this is leading up to an album that will come out probably. I'm guessing the first quarter of 2015. That's just a guess. No one's told me yeah. anything. Um, so I think it's not about the first week for this. It's about building a story at radio, building a story with a single, and working towards the release of the album early next year. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on it because we talked about this song on the Must Hear Music podcast a couple weeks ago, or I, I guess last week when it came out, and how Imagine Dragons, there really haven't been that many breakout rock acts in the first half of the 2010s. They, they, you could probably count them on one hand, and... Mad Dragon's definitely one of them, so it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Yep. I bet my life out now. So, Keith, my last question before we get to the charts out of the week. Very quickly, the CMAs are Wednesday night. You, by the time you're listening to this, they will be over, but they're tonight as we are recording this. Is there such a thing as a CMA's bounce in yes. terms of single sales? So there is. Okay, so... How how big is that bounce? How does it compare to something like the Grammys? Well, well, I mean, it's you know you're you're only specifically talking about one genre of music, but you know there there can be very significant sales increases uh, for albums specifically, songs as well. Uh, I happen to have last year's uh, top album, top country albums chart in front of me from the week after the CMAs. Um, you know, Florida Georgia Line, their album jumped by 69%. Uh, Blake Shelton was up by 148%. Casey Musgraves, which was you know sort of a, a big, uh, big star that night, what her album was up 567%. So yeah, you can have really huge increases uh, for country stars, especially those that kind of surprise people. You know, with a really sort of magical performance. Um, you know, you know, whoever is entertainer of the year usually gets a lot of shine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, look, I I expect we're gonna have a lot of big gains next week. Very cool. So for those listening to this, uh, pay attention to who did well at the CMAs uh, on Wednesday night. And hey, you never know, we might see big gains this week. So so Keith, that's all I got, man. So let's do it, man. Your chart stat of the week. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we're going slightly ahead of time, but then back in time for this week's chart stat of the week. On November 9th, 1985, Jan Hammer's Miami Vice theme hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Oh, yeah. Before there were TV shows like Grey's Anatomy and Glee propelling pop songs into the minds of TV watchers, there was Miami Vice back in the 1980s. The show blended MTV-style visuals and pop music with dozens of acts lending their music to the show. Many acts uh, even guest starred on the series, like Phil Collins, Sheena Easton, and Kisses Gene Simmons. Uh, the series theme, written and performed by Hammer, uh, became one of the few TV show theme songs to hit number one on the Hot 100 chart, and the first instrumental to top the list in more than three years. 
So there you go. There is your chart stat of the week. Uh, this week in 1985, Jan Hammer's Miami Vice theme hit number one. Love it, man. Love it. Thank you for your chart stat of the week. Arky, that's going to do it for us here at the Pop Shop Podcast. Uh, tune in next week. We'll have some more chart goodness. We'll talk about the Foo Fighters. I think we have some cool guests coming up on the Pop Shop Podcast in the next couple weeks. So I'm excited about that. If, but if, if you've been paying attention to us talking about Year of the Booty, you might be excited. Oh, man. Come on. I'm, I'm not hey, going to say. I'm not going to say. I'm just saying. It's a hint. It's a hint. Ah, oh, come on. It's it, <laughs> That ruined it, didn't it? That ruined it? No, it didn't. No, I just, I hope people kind of guess. I have no idea if that's going to They may guess, guess the totally wrong thing anything. now because I can go anywhere, really. That really could. Keith, do you have any parting words? I do not. Uh, well, Keith, we went out on one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs last week. We, it only seems fair that we do your, your favorite Taylor Swift song. What, what do you want to hear to go out? Oh, well, let's just do, uh, let's just do Out of the Woods. Are we out of the woods yet? We are not. And here it is. Are we out of the woods yet? Taylor Swift taking us out on the Pop Shop Podcast. Thanks for listening and take care. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.